grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. All right, good evening, everybody. Sorry for the delay. I was uh, doing something else real quick. Let, let me get this in here real quick. Interesting. Okay. Okay, and I'm just trying to send a guest an extra link to make sure he has the, the, the right link. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, no matter what happens tonight. <laughs> and so far, it's getting interesting. But uh, I'm not ignoring you guys. I'm just trying to get this going here so I can send him an extra link. There we go. I'll get him a link. Okay. There we go. I got him on. Okay. So, welcome. My name is Charlotte. Again, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I am also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state of California. And that means that if you do have a paranormal need, we can get to you, uh, you know, in any place you are in the state. Uh, okay. We, we also have investigators in Nevada, Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii, for those of you that might have issues there as well. Anyway, uh, uh, we are based out of Sacramento again, and uh, we've been doing this for about 25 years, and uh, we're pretty experienced at what we do. All right. But anyway, our guest tonight, who I'm waiting on uh, to get in the green room, and I haven't heard anything, I just talked a little while ago, is Doug Hasichek, and uh, he's a producer for Monster Quest on Discovery Channel. And he, um, there he is. He's waiting, he's popping right on in. He's a producer for our monster, uh, monster Quest on Discovery Channel, and uh, he's interested in Sasquatch, like a lot of us. And and and, this, and what I find interesting about what he has to say is that not only is he interested in, in in Sasquatch, he's interested in the scientific part of it. You know, there's a lot of things with Sasquatch. You know, scientists. I'm not going to cut down the science community because they they do good things, right? We all know they do good things, but Sometimes they're not going to do anything about any, anything until they have a specimen that cut open and take a look at, you know, so there's good and bad with that. But uh, I agree with Doug in that they, there should be more scientific study done on Sasquatch because we just don't know what, what you know, what, what, the, what it is or what we're dealing with. It, you know, it, is it a missing link or, or, or what? So, um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, if you're watching from Facebook tonight, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube, please uh, look for the little ghost with the uh, magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. And he will, uh, if you click on that, he will subscribe you to our YouTube channel, which is very active YouTube channel. We've got more than 400 videos sitting over there, differing topics. Topics, I think there's a little something for everybody over there. Not to mention uh, TikTok. If you're watching from TikTok, hit that follow button on TikTok. You know, I just say the same thing for uh, Twitch because we're we're on Twitch right now as well, and we are on well, well on YouTube, but we're on Twitter as well. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm going to bring Doug in and see what we can do here. Good evening, sir. Hey, how are you, Charlotte? I'm great. Good to uh, good to be here. I'm glad. I'm really excited to have you here. So you want to talk about Bigfoot? Yes, sir. Science and Bigfoot. My my favorite topic. Probably, I think I drive people crazy on that topic. 
at a party or family gathering. It always seems to <laughs> always seems to kind of move towards that direction. Well, you know what? It's a fascinating topic. Yeah. Well, There's it is. nothing wrong with it. You know, it's a fascinating topic. It but before is. we do that, I kind of told them that you were producer of Monster Quest. Yeah. So tell us a little more about you. Well, let's see here. Um, in the 80s, I started producing an outdoor show. Um, and that show, by the way, is still on the air, which is cool. So it was a show I concepted and um, found a really cool talent. And his daughter is now taking over that show. So it's just amazing. He's gone through life, retired, and I just I had him on my show on Untold Radio here recently, so it was kind of cool. But so I started out doing outdoor stuff, wildlife photography, wildlife stories. I worked for a show called Wild About Animals for quite a while as a photographer. Um, started coming up with scientific experiments I could do. Um, I was the first person to concoct and build this huge. Um, underwater research platform for um, researching the Great Lakes. And it did a lot of really cool things like it did fish intelligence tests. It had uh, multiple cameras on it, 360 cameras, multi-frequency lighting, which had never been used, mm -hmm. um, you know, to be able to uh, penetrate the water. Mm -hmm. I had copepod cameras, microscopic cameras on it, fish feeding systems, um, a sage meter so I could, for the first time, we could see the inland tide that happens in the Great Lakes. Wow. People don't realize there's quite a bit of tide from the moon. So I, I started doing experiments like that and building things and started building camera system to see peer inside beaver dens and bear lodges that in the wild that had never been seen. Um, so that's kind of what just, it just kept sucking me in because one of the, I was amazed at the attention that these systems would get, you know, here I am, I'm not a scientist, mm -hmm. but I would get, um, you know, I'd be on NPR or Today Show or, you know, I'd, I'd get this attention. And I think I got a kick out of that because I dropped out of school in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. So I got a, kind of a kick out of it. That's cool. You know, kind of that. You know, I'm still I'm still like that little uh, teenager when I'm thinking, I'll show you, you know, right. I can do something with my life. So I just kept having successes. And eventually um, I was up in the Arctic and we were up there trying to film giant lake trout that were over six feet long, which is really a, you know, a cryptid to begin with, because not only had nobody ever talked about uh, trout that big mm -hmm. I saw one with my own eyes and I'm like uh, I was with I was with my guy and I was up in the Arctic and I said to my guard did you see that because it was coming after I was reeling in a, a 30 pound trout on a barbless hook wow. and I was doing a show on this um, area called the lake that's never been fished mm -hmm. so anyhow and he goes oh I see those all the time and I'm like what I've never heard of such a thing, you know, and I saw this thing right by the boat and it was like as big as a big man, a trout. And, you know, normally people think of trout like, yeah, you know, the trout in California are like maybe a foot long if you're lucky. Right. So, so anyhow, so I get back home and I, I met a fisheries biologist and I said, Hey, I want to go up there and try to get footage of one of these things. Mm -hmm. I said, we need to invent like a bunch of, 
cameras built into lures, into fishing lures. And, you know, we were, so he was all on board and we went up there together. And anyhow, I stopped to go to the bathroom to take a pee break. That little pee break changed my whole life. Completely changed the direction of everything I did after that because we stopped to take, you know, to take this rest stop on shore because it was really rough out in this big lake. Mm-hmm. And um, here were footprints, big ones coming out of the water onto this beautiful sand beach. And it was this perfect kind of sand, you know, where it would leave that perfect footprint. Mm-hmm. And they were detailed, and it came out of the be- off the out of the water onto the beach through the pea gravel, into the tundra. We followed them. I knew they weren't bear tracks, and you know, and then in front of a, a stunted black spruce tree, which are probably up in the Arctic, like seven foot, eight foot tall, tree trunk maybe you know two three inches in diameter. Well, there was a footprint right in front of the trunk, and then directly behind it was another one, which meant. It stepped over the tree. Wow. Something I couldn't do. You know, I'm a pretty big guy. I couldn't even come close to, you know what I mean? That tree wouldn't bend. But whatever it was, just walked over it like a weed. And then, so, and that's when I remember the people I was with said, we need to go now. Literally, grown men said, we need to go now. And I wanted to continue and and track this because you could see the tracks in the tundra. Um, and the moss is kind of a lichen that covers the, you know, the tundra. And so the tracks were jet clear all the way out into the tundra as far as your eye could see. And the weird thing about Bigfoot tracks is there's one track exactly in front of the other one, like a tightrope. Mm-hmm. If you could imagine trying to walk on a tightrope. It's also something that a man has a very difficult time to do in rough terrain. But these things, when they get going in their stride, they apparently swivel their hips, splay their legs out, and then knock knee and then walleye back out again, and they end up placing a foot right in front of each other for efficiency. So you don't have any of the head bomb going up and down, wasting energy. You don't have um, the side-to-side motion. So when you're on a beeline, you're getting there twice as quick than a human would because you're not wasting steps. That makes any sense. But for a human to duplicate, that's very difficult. So, and I had already been doing a ton of bear research. I'd been placing cameras in bear dens and so on. So I knew these were not um, bear tracks. They were about 16 inches long, you know, 60 inches apart. If you can imagine that's five foot stride in between each track. And so I get home from that trip. I mean, bottom line, I get home from that trip. And I can't think about anything else. I'm obsessed. And I start trying to get information and share my video, mm-hmm. you know, of the tracks with people and scientists. And, and, and there really wasn't a ton of interest. Although I, I got a hold of Matt Moneymaker and he, from Finding Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt, of course, at that time, he, he, you know, he had never been even on TV at that point. But I got a hold of Matt and I said, hey, I really want to do a doc on this. And he just kept educating me on how these things are everywhere. There's basically woods, water, and hills. I mean, they're found everywhere. You know, where there's forests, right. hills, and water. You've got to have all three generally, or at least two of the elements, or you will never have a sighting there. And so, um, you know, we got a hold of fingerprint people and this and that. So we did a legend meet science. 
for Discovery Channel mm-hmm. after a long time pitching. It wasn't easy to get them to, you know, to turn over the money for funding. And I um, shot that show in 35 millimeter film, got done. Did I, then I did a series called Mysterious Encounters, I remember that which one. is on YouTube. People can find somebody pirated them and put them up on YouTube, which we used a lot of high tech. It was the first Bigfoot um, specific show on television. And then after that, I went on to pitching um, uh, Giganto the Real King Kong, a show on Gigantopithecus Blackie. And before I was just pitching Charlotte, I was just going, you know, pitching a show called Giganto. Mm-hmm. No interest, no interest, no interest. One day it hit me. Oh, I'll add the real King Kong onto it. So my agent sold it like the next day to NBC, which um, apparently owns a stake in History Channel. And so I did that show, broke records in the ratings. They called me the next day and said, hey, you know, can you do more of these? And I went, sure. <laughs> and so that was how Monster Quest was born. So all very kind of organic, I guess. Based on me going potty up in the Arctic. I am so fascinated by by the cameras you came up with to use. You know, because I'm, I'm like that too, because I was thinking that, you know, when, when I'm out ghost hunting or whatever, you know, I'm looking for, for the best possible cameras right. that I can use yep. at different angles and all this, yep. what will work well. I'm just fascinated by the equipment you use. Yeah, so I, you know, I do a lot of inventing of gear and inventions. I probably have about 1,500 uh, 2000 inventions in the market all over, but none of them are real major things. They're, they're usually things where I take technology and combine them, mm-hmm. two different things and combine them. So I don't invent either one, but I invent the combination. Sure. So I'm really good at that. Um, and I do that with a lot of camera systems. And, you know, I've came up with, um, you know, like the first laser measuring lens. So mm-hmm. you can aim it at an animal and it'll measure the whole animal. You don't have to capture the animal to get a measurement on it. And you can get it even more accurate with my lens and it'll, it'll work above and below water as an example, but I didn't invent the laser. I didn't invent the lens, right? But I figured out how to combine them. You improved upon it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now when we talk about the community, like you said, there was no interest from the scientists or anything on this, you know, isn't it true throughout history though, that for science to be interested in anything, they want to have a carcass. Yeah, generally that's kind of where they draw the line. They go, well, we need a body. We need a body. We yeah. need a body. Or maybe they'll settle for a body part. Mm-hmm. But my feeling is if I if I plopped a body on the table, that wouldn't be good enough. They mm-hmm. would go, oh, this is a mutant. Mm-hmm. This is some weird, you know, mutant human. It's got a, some, you know... Um, uh, recidivism, uh, some kind of weird genetic mutation from way back. And yeah, it's real interesting, but it's not Bigfoot. This mm-hmm. couldn't be a species. I think you'd have to bring in two, mm-hmm. which probably isn't going to happen. It's just mm-hmm. not, you know, one, there's nobody trying to get one really, you know, I just say there is not on the grand scale. There really isn't anybody funded. Um, there's no money for it. I think if a scientist uh, or a scientific group got funded, I think well, we could put it together, put it the whole thing to bed in a year, you know. So, so that's kind of how that got born, and okay. and um, I'm still obviously how many years has it been now? 
that was in the 90s. So it's been, you know, 32 years of, you know, really working on this mystery and really trying to apply constant science to it. And um, yeah, I'm just really ex still excited about the future. Just need a little bit of money now to get some more forensic tests done. I think that there's some things that can help solve the problem because there's some 3D evidence out there that people aren't aware of. Really? For instance, um, the skin oil of all humanoids, all primates is different. Humans are different than gorillas. We have a different chemical makeup in our skin oil than chimps, than gorillas are different, than orangutans, blah, blah, blah. They're all extremely different from each other. Well, we found a way to collect Bigfoot skin oil very, very pretty quickly, within a week, in any good location I can usually get it. And that includes a big fingerprint, you know, big. I mean, so it's 3D. Here's why. One, you have the latent details. Mm -hmm. You have all the latent details. And as everybody knows, you cannot fake those. If you could fake those, people wouldn't be, you know, convicted and put in prison and gassed, mm -hmm. you know, in the electric chair because of fingerprints. Mm -hmm. And they are. So that you cannot fake latent details. Um there's just too many complexities to them, you know, the whoops and the whirls, and they're very unique. There's scar tissue, there's skin breaks, there's just little things that experts would know if you tried to fake it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that's, 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 that's one dimension of evidence. Then you could do a DNA swab of that oil, and you have DNA sloughed off skin cells. So now you can do nuclear DNA. Okay, so you've got the the friction ridges, then you've got the skin oil for the, the DNA, and now you can do chemical analysis of the skin oil. And it should turn out just by just because every other primate is different, I would imagine it's going to also have uh -huh. its own very unique signature. Uh -huh. And so you break it down. And for instance, humans will have cholesterol in our skin oil. Gorillas have no cholesterol. There's levels of triglycerides. And the skin oil is called surface skin lipids or SSL. So, and I've named it, or I should say a friend of mine, I had her name it, came up with Sasquatch albiverdix because it's uh, Bigfoot skin oil is much whiter. It's much more waxy. It appears white or grayish white when they oh. touch something. And so the, um, so the whole thing can be now relayed to a scientist how they can collect this. Right. So if they can collect it and they know it doesn't match human, doesn't match gorilla because they can, they can do their own gas chromatographs and they can do their own DNA and they've got the latent details for the size. And I mean, at some point you think a scientist would go or science would go, okay, now we'll go get the money to do whatever we need to prove the species. Mm -hmm. At least it should get us that far. And that's mm -hmm. what my hope is. My question here is that he's listening to you. Now, when you go to like do these samples, how do you know they're from a from, from a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch? I have no idea. Okay. So Not say. until we do the test. We have no idea. Okay. I can only go on the size at okay. this point. Humans don't have thumbprints that are an inch wide. Yeah, no, we don't know. And we can get these and have been getting them on a pretty consistent level. We just collected another one up in Alaska. Beautiful, whole handprint. We not only documented the whole thing in 4K, documented the collection in 4K, 
did it properly with DNA collection kits, wearing the proper sterilized gown and mask. Are you following me? So it's kind of hard to argue when you can collect evidence under those circumstances. Right. And if they don't believe our tests, fine. Here, here's how you would do it. Mm-hmm. Here's exactly how you can collect this. And I guarantee you can do it almost in a week. So that should put us, should kind of wipe the smile, the smile off their face. Mm-hmm. So that's, if anybody hears this and they're a scientist, give me a call. I'll set you all up. Tell you, I'll even tell you where to go. So. Well, here was another question I had for you. I uh, lived uh, for a time near Happy Camp up here. Oh, in sure. In Bluff Creek. Creek. Yeah. And so I knew some of the, you know, uh, some of the Bigfoot, you know, guys that went out. Sure. Um, when you do go out, like you say, you know, you don't, you don't have to tell anybody where you're going. Obviously, you don't want a bunch of people going up there. Right. But, but do you go what, via hearing reports that somebody's seen this, or do, or do you have certain areas that you know are more populated with these things? I can look at a, I can look at a Google map and tell you exactly where they are. Okay. It's not that hard. What you're looking for is areas with multiple streams, rivers. That all converge into one area. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. You've got to have forested and corridors to get there. If you have, if you add in hills, you're even going to have a, a, a better chance. But generally, anywhere where you have forest, good forest land, you have edges. Even even edges help of agriculture. Apple orchards ten miles away. Mm-hmm. All of those things help. So I can look generally at a Google Map and go, here's a good area. So far, we've been almost batting 100%. Wow. Yeah, it's not that. These things are pretty much, you know, scattered. Not a huge population. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would probably guess there's 4,000. <clears> excuse me. I want to maybe have to go get a, get a glass of water. Sure, um, maybe there's 4,000 all over North America. It's a very low population. Minnesota, we have 40,000 bears in just Minnesota. So you take 4,000 animals now, spread it all over Canada which right. is massive all over the, you know, the United States. Right. It's, it's like a needle in a haystack. It'd be like you taking a BB from a BB gun and throwing it, you know, way out into the forest and telling a guy to go find it. You know, it's, it's not much chance you're going to find it. So you have to generally attract them. Mm-hmm. And there's certain things you can do to, you know, get their curiosity up and get them to your location yeah, one of the things, you know, and I'm more than happy to share all this. Okay. Um, one of the things that they love to apparently in, inferred when I say love to touch, it's as inferred that it's a Bigfoot mm-hmm. is shiny, smooth objects. Because think about it in the forest, we don't have acrylic plastic. Mm-hmm. And it's why they're drawn at campsites and places to touch car windshields side windows, hoods of cars, because generally paint is smooth. It's it's an interesting texture. They're, they're obviously, if you're living in the forest, you're going to need to be very tactile. You're going to need to know textures. Mm-hmm. And they just, they touch it out of curiosity. But where are they going to, other than a man-made object, right. where are they going to touch shiny paint? Right. So all you have to do is is find the right area, figure out a way to attract them either with foot or food or maybe a, a wood knock or two, Leave the area, leave a uh, piece of brightly colored plexiglass, preferably blue. And there's a reason I say blue. And come back. 
And the nice thing about their fingerprints, they're very permanent. When they touch acrylic, that's there. It's going to be there a year from now. So you could leave it there for quite a long time and then retrieve it a month later. You could probably even come back almost a year later. It's still going to be there. The fingerprint is going to show up just like it did from day one. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So hopefully I'm giving people some new things to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, like some of these guys that that, that have collected uh, their voices. Yep. Have you heard anything like that when we were out there? I have not heard talking, but I have heard singing, which I guess would be words. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was up in, you know, the wilds of Canada. I was with my son mm -hmm. and my best friend. We were floating on a boat on a dead quiet night. Um, and off on the shore was this very loud, beautiful, operatic singing that was coming from shore. Now, I was 500 miles from the nearest road, okay? okay. No chance it was people, none. I've been going up there 30 years, and I've never run into a person ever. Mm -hmm. It was not a person. And it was in a language I've never heard. It was um, more beautiful and covered more notes coming out of one voice than I've ever heard in my life. It was as if seven notes were happening all at the same time. It was just beautiful. And we listened to it for 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Unfortunately, this is before the day of cell phones. Right. And, you know, recorders. And, the, and we weren't up there doing Bigfoot research. Mm -hmm. We were up there to get away from the world, you know. We were up there in, a, in an area so wild and so primitive that you could picture a Tyrannosaurus Rex walking out of the forest. You wouldn't think anything of it. Right. It's just that crazy up there, you know. And right. so I, I go up up to places like that just to recuperate, you know. And generally, in, in those cases, um, I didn't even really, in that area, didn't know there was any Bigfoot activity. Mm -hmm. And so we listened to this, and years later, it connected the dots and went, oh, my God, that's what it was. Because other people have recorded similar things, including the um, – Wood Ape um, Conservancy Group mm -hmm. have also recorded singing. And so it's interesting, you know. Now, once again, I, I wished I had my recording, but I don't. But I have the memory of it. Now, that's something I haven't heard yet. Because, I mean, I, I've talked to, you know, uh, both the guys that, that, that have collected the voices. Uh, Ron know, Moorhead, like Ron, Ron Moorhead. And then the other gentleman from Canada. Yep. Oh, and, Mike, Mike Patterson, yes. Yeah, Mike Patterson. And I've never heard a, anything singing. I mean, that would be something to hear. It is. Um, if you, I don't know if you can share your screen or put something on, but look up throat singing. Okay. And okay. Um, where people can look it up. Look up throat singing. Okay. It's similar to that, only they're not doing throat singing that we know of, but it sounds um, similar in... in Multiple notes happening all at the same time, like it's a choir of people, but you know it's just one voice. And even the Morad tapes, if you really analyze, they also have these low tones and these very high tones all happening right. at once. Right. It's quite interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Now, now when you're up there and you start hearing this stuff, are, are you more curious than you are afraid of it? Or, or, or are you a little cautious around, you know, because you don't know where they're at or, you know, are they going to come into camp or what are they going to do? 
Well, I've had a few scary moments in tents and in like the Snowgrove cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Monster Quest ep- episode called Sasquatch Attack. Actually, there's two episodes of it. That was a case where I had been going to that particular cabin for, well, again, 20, 30 years. Nothing ever happened until one day we brought our daughters up. It's a remote area. You have to fly in there, no roads. You get dropped off by float plane. And we just thought, hey, I want to take my daughter, my young daughter, on one of these adventures. It'd be good for her. Mm-hmm. So we went up there and I invited my buddy. He said, hey, bring your, bring Marie up, you know, Dakota and Marie are friends and bring Vladimir, bring Ina up. And, you know, so we all brought our girls up. Not that the moms were happy with us because <laughs> no doctors, no phone, no way to get a hold of anybody. You know, something happens and it's, it's bad. Let's put it this way. Um, places like this generally have had numerous deaths because they, you know, you, there's no medical help. Right. But um, we took the risk and we went up there and my daughter has probably started the whole thing up at that cabin because it was that night or it was that day she did a, she was just making monkey sounds, not because of Bigfoot research or anything. She was just, she said it helped her catch fish, which it, you know, apparently did gave her the confidence and she was doing these monkey sounds. Well, we were coming out of a very remote lake and I was pulling with a big stick to get us out of this narrow stream that went back into a really creepy little lake, moss covered. And we always felt like we were being watched back there. Always. Everybody I took back there said, God, I feel like I'm being watched. And so we were pulling out of there. My daughter's doing monkey sounds. And all of a sudden there was a wood knock right next to the boat. Just bam. And it echoed across the lake. And it was right when we were entering the main lake. And I thought, I wonder if that was a warning to family members that we were now coming into the main lake to take cover. It wasn't directed at us. It was directed for that's, you know, once again, you're inferring you have to, because what else can you do? Right. Well, I thought I I said, Hey, I've never tried wood knocking up there because I've go up there to relax. I don't go up there to, you know, it's not a place I go to do Bigfoot research. Mm -hmm. So we, Thought, well, what the heck? Let's try a wood knock. Nothing will probably happen. So we waited till like two in the morning. Vladimir grabs his, I had this perfect log already. He grabs his log and he bangs it against this perfect tree and it echoes across. You could hear it echoing. Mm-hmm. And we got an answer right by the campfire, 20 feet from the campfire, an wow. answer. And man, you should have seen these grown men turn white. <laughs> oh, my. And there was only one of the kids that was up um, and, um, I said, oh, you guys believe it? Because they didn't even believe in Bigfoot. You know, right. you know, once again, I've tried to get them to kind of, you know, open their mind. Mm-hmm. They did instantly right then and there because that was such a powerful knock. They knew it was right outside the firelight, right in the forest. And it just freaked them out. And I said, okay, Maria, take a small pebble, not, not a big rock, and gently lob it. You need to do this, not me. Gently lob it towards the sound of that wood knock. And she did. Well, here come a rock right back. And we did that. We did that for like an hour, the rock exchange. I was underhand. They always came back very gentle, just landed at our feet. So we were now in life 20, you know, long period of communication. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there was a big gabooge right next to us where a big rock ricocheted off a rock. And then they were, whatever it was, it was gone. I call that the grand finale. 
They always do that when they're leaving. They always smack the cabin, bang the house, and then they leave. They're just like a gorilla at the zoo. You ever see them smack the glass, Charlotte? Right, right, right. And then they run. It's like right. a little chicken. Yeah, so they're operating on fear. And they, so they're like, here, I'm really tough. Not really. <laughs> I'm really tough. Not really. And I've experienced that grand finale a hundred times. At some point, you just kind of know, okay, they've left. That's that's their little, that's their goodbye. It's like, I'm really tough. Goodbye. Bam. I'm sh show you how big and powerful I am. <laughs> and so, so nothing happened. And we tried. Um, we tried even another wood knock. Nothing. There was no response. Finally, everybody, you know, it's getting late, really like four in the morning, three in the morning. Everybody wants to go to bed. I'm like, I got to sit up for a while. And I'm reading a, a Field and Stream magazine by Firelight up in this uh -huh. cabin. And I start getting sleepy right away reading this magazine. I go up to the window that faces the back part of the forest on the opposite part of the lake. And I flick a fluorescent light on like an idiot right above my head. It's a battery-powered fluorescent light. Mm -hmm. And at that exact moment, all hell broke loose. Because whatever was out there, I freaked out. And it was numerous creatures. It wasn't one. Because mm -hmm. there was screaming, yelling, rock throwing, uh, stick throwing. Um, something leaped up on the roof, which I can only assume was a juvenile. It was running back and forth on this tin roof, which was really loud. I look up, the skylight's open. I search for the hook, this long-handled hook, to get the skylight open. Because I'm, I'm pretty, I mean, there's so much screaming and commotion going on from a number of creatures. So mm -hmm. if you can picture the Moorhead tapes, way worse happening right outside the cabin. Wow. Um, and, of course, there's plate glass window. It's very thin. There's no locks on the door. There's nothing. There's no – I have no gun. I have no, nothing to defend myself other than, you know, there's a butter knife handy, <laughs> nothing. So um, um, I get the sky. That was my first prayer to get that skylight shut. I didn't want anything, you know, jumping into the, and dropping right. it onto the floor. So, um, so I, I crank that shut. I go in and I start beating on Vladimir, the big Russian guy that I was with. Mm -hmm. And trying to get him up, and he would not wake up. Meanwhile, the screaming, rock throwing, still going on. I don't know why he didn't wake up. I ran into Joe's room and I started beating on him. He didn't wake up either, and then it quit. But that was right out of a kind of a B horror movie. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna when the lodge when the guy who owns this camp comes to pick us up on the float plane. I'm going to relay this story to him because I just, you know, because we've always argued about Bigfoot because right. I just kept telling him constantly. I'm going, I know damn well you've seen one of these things by your float plane because he just seems too kind of, kind of skeptical, but kind of agreeable. It's kind of hard to explain. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I just always assumed, you know, that he had seen something. So, and just wouldn't tell me because of pride or whatever. So I tell him and he goes, yeah, he goes, I'd believe, I'd believe you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, he said, by the way, did you know this cabin got destroyed on the inside? And I went, what? I said, I didn't see any damage or anything. He said, well, everything went back together. And I said, I don't see any claw marks, no teeth marks. He's like, well, it must have been a bear that destroyed the whole inside of the cabin. I'm like, 
dude, I said, I've been up here 30, 40 times. I can tell you, I know every knot in the wall. It's not a very big cabin. There was no scratch marks. Bears leave tons of damage with their teeth and claws. They'll chew on the woodwork around the windows as an example. I said, well, what happened exactly? He said, well, all the cabinets were pulled down. The pipes were all bent. There's, um, believe it or not, water that gets pumped up from the lake by solar panels. So there was pipes in the cabin, um, bent all the pipes, tore up 100 decks of cards into little tiny pieces. And you got to have thumbs and fingers to do that. Now, what human's going to break into a cabin and just sit there and just tear up playing cards? into little round circles, you know, a hundred decks. I mean, I, when I say a hundred decks of cards, I'm not exaggerating. There were just, it was kind of a joke because you would always go up there, bring your own deck up, right? To play cards if it's bad right. weather. And you'd always leave them there for the next person. Well, it was just a joke because there were a hundred decks at the cabin. <laughs> this big stack, whatever it was, tore up every one of those decks in little pieces. I could have taken days all the plastic that was in the cabin, um, like uh, there was a boom box, a battery powered boom box that some idiot had brought up there um, to listen to music when you're up in the wilderness, really. But whatever it was, broke that into little tiny pieces. Flipped over the refrigerator upside down, flipped over the wood stove upside down, literally pulled all of the, the shelving, like ripped it, pulled it with hands off the wall. Um, flipped over a 1,200-pound gas tank upside down. Um, this is just damage. Didn't break the windows. Shut the doors behind it. What, who comes into a cabin and does that kind of damage and then leaves and shuts the doors behind it? Very interesting. So anyhow, then they put a... He said, well, I, I've got video of it, all the damage. I've actually got the damage on my Facebook page. If people are willing to yeah, scroll down. I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Yeah. So it's just scroll way down. You'll eventually come to a black and white um, footage that Chuck recorded for the insurance company. Um, anyhow, so that's kind of what happened, what was going on up there. And so we went up there and um, started doing, um, you know, production. I brought scientists up. Okay. Kevin got attacked when we were up there. Um, when the scientists got to witness it, um, my son was with me. He was skeptical and he got to witness it. In fact, he started to go into shock, physical shock, because he was so scared because he'd suddenly hit him. Oh my God, there's something giant outside that wants to kill us. And there's no protection in here. Like those doors are paper thin. I mean, you could just, you know, you could punch your fist. You could do it, Charlie. You could just walk right, right through the door. Um, so um, he, he was really afraid. And, you know, I get afraid, too. I'm saying that. Yeah. We built barricade. We had built a barricade to, co to protect our heads because these things were throwing rocks at the cabin. So we were hiding behind, like, a stacked a duffel bag, and, you know. And so, we were, yeah, I mean, there was fear. Brian was worried about getting beamed in the head with a big rock because he'd already had a rock thrown directly at him up there, and it just barely missed his head. Mm -hmm. So they like to throw rocks as intimidation, but I think they operate on fear. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if they really wanted to hurt you, they they would have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Would you mind if I go grab a dump? Go grab some water. Some water? Yeah, yes, sir. I will be right back. <laughs> this is absolutely fascinating. Anyway, this is this is absolutely fascinating. His account of what happened with his daughter 
reminds me of a story that happened, I think it was in the 1920s or 30s, up by um, up near Cave Junction in Oregon. And these hunters had been out hunting, and one of them saw a Sasquatch. The Sasquatch, I think, tried to take off with, with, with a deer that they had caught. And the hunters shot at this deer, or shot at the Sasquatch, thought they killed it, and then went back to the cabin they were staying in. And then that night, there was a huge attack similar to this, where they were bouncing against the walls, that, that they were jumping up and down on, on the roof of this cat, the ceiling of this cabin. These, these these hunters were in there, but they spent the night like that. Then, of course, they got out of there the next day. And as he's describing what happened with his daughter, that's what it's, that, that that's what it reminded me of. That account. So there's you know there there are accounts of this happening with Sasquatch. And I'm like back. yes, I'm well, back. telling them that uh, <clears throat> your account with your daughter reminded me of that story about the hunters that had. Shot the Sasquatch. Oh, the Ape Canyon incident. Yeah, you know. Canyon yep, yep, yeah. Yep. with the way it was bouncing on the walls. And stuff. <clears throat> yep. Oh, so no, I, I talked. I talk, Well, I'm sorry, Charlotte, but okay. I I talk to homeowners a ton that have their cabins attacked. Right. It's not rare. People just don't report it because they don't know what it is. Right. Right. So, what do you when you try to take people up there for your production crew to film this? Is it is, is a select crew that go that go up, or are they into this like you are enough to? Generally, I can't find anybody to do those. I'll, I, I'm the camera crew. Sasquatch attacked. I think number one. Yeah, I, I filmed the whole damn thing. Wow. Yeah, that was me filming, because you know one, it's really expensive to get up there. Um, right. Flights are really expensive. Right. Um, because you're flying on a float plane, gear is very limited. You can't bring much, and that extra. I would rather bring extra gear than a body, and okay. I do have the skills to do all of the TV production. Mm -hmm. And so I brought my son, and he was the sound engineer, in which he had a you know bunch of experience already in that. Right. And we did fine. I was the camera guy, and he was the sound engineer, and he got to experience all the, you know, what what really went down there, and it changed his life because he's now gone into, you know, um, he's neck deep in Sasquatch research too. So that's 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 what's cool. You know, in all the research you've done, why do you think this particular location, they're possessive of the location or whatever? Well, um, okay, so only so many fishermen are allowed there every year. Mm -hmm. um, maximum of six people at a time. And you have to throw out your perishables. And everybody brings too many perishables, meaning the cantaloupes that nobody ate. The lettuce, the heads of lettuce nobody ate. The two dozen eggs nobody ate. The blah, blah, blah. Because everybody's eating walleye and fish. We're sure. all gorging on fish and potatoes. Every Fish, potato, and beans. So if it isn't fish, potato, and beans, you're not eating it. So all this food goes to waste. So you have to throw it behind the cabin. Okay. You know, 50 yards behind the cabin. I think these things have figured out at the end of the week, every week on dot work, there's a smorgasbord of all sorts of great food. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think. I don't think, I think they, I think they were mad at me because we were probably the only people ever to wood knock up there. I think it's a little more sacred than people think. Um, I think it's a territorial thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one reason they're, they, they'll come because they just can't resist curiosity. Is there somebody in my territory? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's what I, think don't know 
I don't know any of this. Um, but I think that's what the deal is because, you know, we can go, we went to a location or the last one we went to, um, we rented a, a cabin that was off the grid, solar powered, 11 mile logging trail to get there. No other houses or anything around, just us. And it looked on the map at all the things I talked about and the had a, had a lake, had numerous streams that all kind of congealed into one area. Um, and I knew it had blueberries around the cabin. I asked the guy and I thought, okay, we'll go up there and we'll see what happens. And so we do one wood, knock, just one wood knock mm -hmm. when we get there. Oh my God. I don't know if 10 minutes went by, we heard a scream, just unbelievable scream. So my youngest daughter was her first time. This is my youngest, youngest daughter now. Um, she was about 13 at the time. She had never, she'd always been left out of all this. So I finally brought her. She's like, oh my God. You know, she heard that with her own ears. And she's like, dad, you're going to put blankets on all the windows and you're going to take, take this tape and you're going to tape these blankets. So she made me put curtains because there's nobody out there. Why do you need curtains? Right, for? right, right. It freaked her out. She's like, there's no way I'll be able to sleep in here without those windows being covered. So I took the duct tape and I worked with her. And we taped all the windows up. And sure enough, that night, here we hear walking up the, up the porch, starts opening and closing the um, glass recycling bin. You have to push a button. Lid pops open. And it closed it. Did it over and over and over and over again. Then it walked over into the aluminum one. Over and over. And then walked back down, messed with Joe's tonneau cover in the truck. And by the way, it left fingerprints all over the truck. <clears throat> and handprints and then would walk back up the porch again and redid the started the cycle on the recycling bins again almost like an autistic person would do over right. and over and then it was about to leave apparently and at this point you know I'm, we're listening to this stuff and now it's going to leave and instead of a little grand finale where it just smacks the cabin really hard or throws one object at the cabin it was like a semi truck hit the cabin. So not only did the cabin jerk, the whole cabin jerk, jerk forward, mm -hmm. the bed that we were in got pushed away from the wall, almost a foot on the wall. It pushed against shoved. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was like, <clears throat> excuse me. It was like a semi truck hit it. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard my daughter ever swear until that moment. And it was, you know, it was the F word came right. <laughs> what the, <laughs> it was bad. So that's, you know, that I was like, oh, is that how strong you guys are? Now I get it. <laughs> it's amazing. Why do you think, I mean, I mean, obviously, the, the, like you say, they know they can get the food on a certain night. Yeah. Why do you, I mean, it, this could be, a, like, I guess this, this campsite or where this cabin is, this could be someplace where they meet up. Or something, and, and that's and that's the people are who knows, there. Who knows? Who knows? If we wouldn't have done a wood knock, see, you can never go back, right? And not do a wood knock and go. Well, would we have had action? Are they after us? Does it have something to do with me personally? Right. Because I've had people tell me that. Oh, high check. That's because you attract these things. You know, I've heard that from numerous people. Oh my God, I heard that first time like twenty five years ago. Somebody said that, and I went, what? And they're, they're like, so they're in their minds thinking they're paranormal. Right, right, right. They could be. I have no, you know, I, I don't right, know. Right, right. 
Right. At the very least, they're metaphysical because they're leaving physical evidence here. So let's mm -hmm. say there's such a thing as a metaphysical creature. Mm -hmm. We don't even know that. Mm -hmm. So when you realize we don't really know much of anything about our whole world, do we, Charlotte? No, we don't. No, we don't know anything. And it's funny because it just makes me laugh sometimes because y'all can think, you know, you think, you know, right. oh, I'm looking at all this stuff. Then you've got guys like Elon Musk going, nah, I think that's all just computer generated, everything we see. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? <laughs> and then you got other scientists going, yeah, that's probably what's going on. It's all being generated as we need to see it. It doesn't really exist. You know, we're in some kind of matrix. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Okay. So basically, we don't know anything. And so when people say that, maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. But I've just not seen any evidence of that because we've always done things like the right amount of wood, the right type of wood knock, mm -hmm. the right time of day. Um, but we'll have action, you know, almost everywhere. And my son, too, he just, you know, he goes up to the Boundary Waters Canoe area where he's doing research currently. And he'll have action. Every night, big rocks thrown at the, you know, that'll land right near the tent and roll up and rock clacking and rocks ricocheting. And people want to hear what goes on, you know, what it's like. Actually, if you don headphones, you will actually get to experience what it's like to be with one of the high checks in one of these cabins or at, you know, because you can hear what's going on. And so if you have enough patience, it's 20 minutes, listen to 20 minutes. It's edited, you know, for the whole night, all edited together. But man, um, it's on YouTube and it's called like Bigfoot in My Camp Part One and there's Part Two. And they're both very well worth listening to. Don headphones, you really need to because it'll be just, you'll hear exactly what Blaine heard. Wow. I just wonder too, um, I know a lot of animals work off scent. So I wonder if it's something about your scent. Yeah, I don't know. Primates generally don't, but you know, we do a little bit. Yeah, we walk into a kitchen, someone's baking cookies. You know, right, we get right. we get a little excited, um, but generally we don't. But I would imagine they do more, far more than we do. But mm -hmm. are they on the level of a bloodhound? Um, kind of doubt it. I really do think it's the areas that we pick and research. Sure, sure. I really do. I I think it's just an educated, you know. Here's an area, okay, for instance, here's an area people have gone missing. Here's an area that has all of the elements of a really amazing Bigfoot habitat. This would be an area they would use because of this, 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 and this. For instance, this area up in the BWCA, you can find on the Untold Radio um, Network um, um, YouTube channel. Look for the BWCA, the Bigfoot in my camp. There happens to be, if you look at a Google map, there's a big um, valley cliff near there that's like a hidden. I guarantee no, no humans ever even got in there. Guaranteed. And you can tell it right on the map. There's no reason anybody would ever go in there. Maybe hundreds of years ago somebody did, but I guarantee there hasn't been a human in there in hundreds of years. Um, you just look at all the elements that are there and you go, this is a spot because of this, 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 you know, it fits the nine things criteria. And then you go there and then you have activity and you go, oh, okay, bingo. You know, our theories are right, but we don't know for sure, 100%. We just know right. we're, maybe we're 90% sure. Right. 
that our theories are right. But, you know, we just keep testing them and they keep working out. But maybe they're metaphysical and it's supernatural and they're going, oh, there's some eye checks out mm-hmm. in the forest and we're going to go harass them because we don't like them. Right. Could well, be I too. That. I mean, it's like it's like, like any of us. There's there's certain people in the world that just get on your nerves. Yeah, we could get on. Look at them when they get on exactly. Your <laughs> you could be you could be right. You know, you have just as much chance of being right as I do. Right, right. But then again, I like your theory about the the tree knocking. That makes a lot yeah. of sense too. That it's a territorial thing. Sure, and they generally, you know, it isn't like they come instantly. But I think about okay, how did we get to this cabin? We had to drive in at probably two miles an hour. Right. Right. I'll guarantee a car hadn't been through up that up that logging trail in six months so here's this car bouncing through my in my jeep right a couple miles an hour to get through this rough rough trail maybe we were followed there because they're like oh maybe there'll be some garbage put out or mm-hmm. who knows mm-hmm. maybe you know maybe 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 we're just maybe they're just really curious of humans mm-hmm. maybe they saw my daughter in the car we had the windows down. Maybe they heard us talking. Maybe they, maybe they have a good sense of who's not going to, you know, shoot them. Right. You know, the, all those theories are as good as any. But all I know is we did have action immediately with that scream. Was it a Bigfoot? Boy, I tell you, it sure sounded like one. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, it's what I call the bark, um, the bark growl. It's a very metallic-y, it almost sounds like metallic-y, like if you took a dog, and you made the dog 800 pounds, and then you turned the dog into metal, and you had him growl and bark all at the same time. That's what it sounds like. Kind of like a very, um, it's like, you know, this real, it sounds big. Like, you're right. like, oh, crap. It's very intimidating to where everybody went in the cabin. It's very intimidating. It does what it probably was meant to do, intimidate you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we waited so, for oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, um, yeah. I mean, that would intimidate me, and that's what I was saying. So, do you have a fear going up, or or, or do you just go up? I mean, I would have some some like fear in the background there. You know, I always worry when I do one of these trips, I'm not coming back. I always accept mm-hmm. that. I always think there's a, here's the little thing I tell myself: you've had a good life. If you don't come back, so be it. Mm-hmm. Not much I can do about it. You know, I try to do what I can to survive, but. Every one of these trips are very dangerous. When you're the last float plane trip, we had an emergency landing. And then we had a guy coming after us with a shotgun because there was an abandoned hotel on this lake. And we took shelter in this lake as we're in a storm. Mm-hmm. And we all took shelter. And one of the guys smacked his split his forehead on the, on the wing, trying to get out of the plane because we we're trying to get into this. It was an abandoned hotel. No other buildings on this lake up in Ontario. And it had a warning. Anybody in this cabin will be shot. So all of a sudden we hear a motorboat come and we see guys with guns coming. <laughs> so the pilot's like, we need to go now. <laughs> and the weather conditions were not good for taking off. Right. The ceiling was still too low. But we did anyhow. And I and I stole a paper a, a thing of paper towels out of this abandoned hotel. So I, st- I steal, I steal it and I stick it in my thing. I just, some little voice said, take that. It could save your life. So I take it and I got it. And all of a sudden we're in the plane and then it hits me. Oh my God, we're all wet. All of us are soaked. We're in this little cockpit 
and the guy takes off and he's hitting all of a sudden he has no visibility. The pilot is he doesn't have any gauges to look at. Then there's zero visibility. And he yells and screams for someone to hand him something. And I shove that whole roll of paper towels. He uses like a squeegee. And man, we just pulled up in time over the trees. And we get back and he goes, I didn't think my plane could go that fast. <laughs> so, um, but those are the kinds of things that happen almost every trip. Is that was some little mishap. And on this one, there happened to be a whole bunch of them, actually. There was a number of them. Cabin got attacked on that time, too, which freaked out. Uh, there was two new people there. They got totally freaked out. Um, um, we had, yeah, the, 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 almost the crash at the end. And all, it's almost two plane crashes, yeah. So it gets dangerous, some of these adventures. But you just go and you go, glad to be home. Thank you, God. And you just pray the next trip doesn't get you, you know? Absolutely. So you're collecting all, all this evidence. You're trying yep. to collect. Are you at some point going to, to present it, you know, to, to the scientific community? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Um, so um, I'm, I'm going to have to, like I've done with all my scientific experiments, finance them with entertainment, you know, with television, because I wouldn't know where else to get the funding. Sure. Yeah. So monster quest to me was, yeah, I loved producing, but to me, it was also a vehicle for a researcher mm -hmm. to be able to have funds for scientific tests, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's kind of a win-win for me. Mm -hmm. I always consider myself a researcher first and then a producer. Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. Now, doing Monster Quest, and, and, I, and I know you've done some Bigfoot stuff on there. What mm -hmm. do you think is one of the... Uh, creatures that stands out the most that you guys have 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 went in search of well obviously the giant squid we got the first footage ever of a of a uh, architeuthis dux which is the true giant squid no one had ever gotten footage in its natural habitat mm -hmm. and we did um and that was a cryptid when i grew up that was mm -hmm. just considered a cryptid and i grew up telling my parents going i'm going to get that thing you know, when I grew up, because I used to watch a lot of Jaku Stone when I was little. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I grew up on that. And I used to always tell my, my parents, I'm like, no, I'll be the one. I'll get that. <laughs> and so it was really cool to have the opportunity. I'm like, oh, I can do this now. Mm -hmm. And we got we got lucky. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the lake monsters really fascinate me <clears throat> because I really... Um, Below the surface of the water is another dimension that really sure. needs more research, you know, in lakes, especially lakes like Champlain, Lake Superior. Mm -hmm. People have seen sea monsters in Lake Superior, too. They've seen weird stuff. Um, there's been people attacked in Lake Superior by weird, you know, things. Um, so I'd, I'd say any of the ones we did on Lake Monsters really get my blood going. Sure. So anything with water. Water in it, water or fur or hair, like Bigfoot. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, there's other ones. There was one episode we did that really fascinated me because it was just really, it seemed like the creepiest one. Um, and God, I think I can remember the name of the episode, but it was the one where we, where a car got really chewed up bad. A whole car got like chewed. Wow. And we tried to duplicate, built, you know, little machines and stuff to duplicate the pounds of pressure it would take mm -hmm. to duplicate these bite marks. 
and I'm, I think it was the close encounter one. Yeah. It was just on general on close encounters, close encounters with monsters. That was kind of a really, that, that show I just love because there was like one, one case where um, two brothers shot at a Bigfoot mm-hmm. that had been hit by the, their, their sister in the mm-hmm. car and they ended up getting a shot at it. And then we went to the tree, you know, freaking months later, there it was. We cut the, found the tree, cut the tree down, brought it to a lab. And sure enough, we found the bullet, you know, right where they said it would be. And we found the bullet and they didn't know we were going to do that. Mm-hmm. And we brought in x-rayed the tree and there's the bullet. You get it out. Now you can test for DNA because they swore they hit the creature. It's stuff like that. That's really exciting. Right. Cause right. you don't know. We don't, none of us know what's going to, you know, bring uh, evidence on the, on the animal. Right, right. But do you think I could afford that on my own? You know, no, right. are you kidding? Just at that one lab, we spent, you know, tons of money. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Well, sir, I agree with you 100% that the science community needs to get more involved with this. Yeah, they do. You know, look into it. I, I agree with you 100%. But there is some good news. Um, every other Thursday, scientists get together from all over the country, and guess what they do? They discuss the Bigfoot mystery now. Well, that's awesome. And that's thanks to um, Amy Boo. She somehow started roping these guys in. And the reason they got roped in is because they all had an experience at one point in their life. They all saw something at one point. And she happened to meet them. So basically, she would go to sports shows, just regular mainstream sports shows. She'd set up a booth. And she would just talk to anybody that would talk to her. And so the people would come up, obviously, if they were interested in a Bigfoot mystery. And she found out some of them were biologists. Some of them were zoologists. Some of them were this. Some of them were that. And she'd say, hey, let's meet. You know, and she started gathering this. And then people like me would bring, suck one or two in. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you know, you have this meeting and you got 30, 40 scientists now meeting every every other Thursday. Mm-hmm. So there's hope. There is interest. But are they willing to have their name public? Nope. Not yet. Not yet. But are they interested in working on it in their own unfunded way? Yeah. But even just by educating, you know, going to these meetings, they're getting an education. So that's quite, yeah, there's hope. There's hope, Shirley. I hope so, because, you know, this has been going on for a long time. And and there, like I said, there should be an interest in it, and uh, it's just sad there isn't. You know, that more people aren't involved in studying this thing. Well, think about it. We have now 10,000 documented sightings, mm-hmm. probably about, um, let's say, 8,000 by, by, you know, writing in a database, mm-hmm. another 2,000 on podcasts from witnesses that get go on a podcast, like yeah. Bigfoot um, uh, or Sasquatch Odyssey, or uh, what's what? What's Wes Germers? I can never uh, Sasquatch Chronicles. Right. Those guys do an amazing service because literally they're collecting a database too from people mm-hmm. that don't really feel like filling out a report, you know, um, like on the BFRO or somewhere. But right. they're they're willing to tell their story. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got eight thousand or ten thousand documented sightings, sure. and we now have people both here and in the UK that are doing GIS data on each and every sighting Mm -hmm. being done by two scientists, GIS scientists. 
And oh my God, is that revealing patterns? It's just fascinating. If we have so much data now, I can call um, Wes and I can go, and that's this Wes over in England, and I can go, um, tell me what's the most common color in in Bell, you know, Bellington County, Georgia. What's the most common color reported Bigfoot? You can, it's reddish brown. Just like that, I get an answer. That is cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Very so there's cool. so now we're getting all this data getting entered. Now, once again, no one's done anything with the data, mm -hmm. but it's all getting entered very carefully. All these um, GPS coordinates, data, and you know, and everything about the sighting. So now scientists can do something with the data. You know, I've come up with some patterns that are real interesting to me. So we're we're all starting to communicate and talk, and it's it's really cool. That is really cool. I yep. really respect what you do, and I hope to God that at some point everything you're gathering does be put into science. You know, the scientists do take a serious look at. Yeah. I really well, I I hope so too. I hope I live long enough to get a little bit of at least to when I go. At least I can go. I think there's a good start now. Mm -hmm even if the answer isn't found, but at least I kind of want to just at least continue to, to raise the bar as best I can, mm -hmm. you know, along with other people, we're all raising the bar a bit. Absolutely. So what's next for you? I have no dang idea. Um, <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> I am literally in talks with um, uh, IMAX, trying to talk some, just, you know, the IMAX distributors mm -hmm. in funding this. So that's one thing I'm hoping because I'm like, I, I literally said to him in a meeting, I said, uh, if you guys do a 3D Bigfoot movie mm -hmm. and I get to produce this IMAX movie with all the things that I know and all the proper things that we can do in this, mm -hmm. it may be the number one IMAX movie that's ever been made. And I really believe that. Mm -hmm. um, get the right scientists involved, all like 24 new categories of evidence gets analyzed. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting on a ton of new categories. Like we talked about the one, the, the, the sebum, the skin oil. Right. That's one category. There's 24 other ones, new categories of evidence. So if we can do all that and package it in a beautifully shot movie with beautiful scenery, mm -hmm. beautiful science, eyewitnesses, the right people, this and, and having a museum exhibit and travel with it around the science museums. Mm -hmm. This could be a really cool movie. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. I'm always pitching somebody something. Right. Because this stuff's not cheap. You know, right. it's really expensive. And if I can do um, not only do a scientific test, but educate people at the same time. So it has a venue to get out in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really cool. Absolutely. How can yeah. people find you, sir? Facebook's probably the best way. Okay. Um, um, you can go to Untold Radio AM website. Um, we're on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. I'm, I'm like the easiest guy ever to get a hold of. Okay, so, great. I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Charlotte. That was I love fun. This. This was you, fun. Um, you know your stuff. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I would love to have you on again to talk more about this stuff and go into more detail on stuff. Sure. When, yeah. When some of this stuff actually starts coming out, mm -hmm. which I hope it will, COVID delayed a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. but, it, but what's cool, the delays have come with more evidence 
every day I delay, I keep getting more stuff. So that's fine. Absolutely. Maybe it's supposed to be delayed a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I'm know. kind of a fatalist that way. There you go. All right, All sir. Right. Well, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. I really, really enjoyed this immensely. And thank and, you. And uh, that it was great. Thank you so Thanks. much. Have a good evening. Thanks much. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Okay, I learned a lot on that one, and I hope you did too. Boy, that's some stories. And he is gathering evidence, and I think it's great. I think the scientific community should be more involved with this. You know, they, they haven't been, and, and I, I just think there needs to be more study. I mean, so many people, like like even right now when he was talking about that database they're putting together with GPS and all that, there's so many, you know, accounts of seeing, this, uh, of seeing these things. It's going to get to the point where it can't be denied, you know, even by the scientific community. So I think I think the, the people the people like him and, and others, I think it's a great thing. All right. Tomorrow evening, of course, it's it's casual Friday with psychic Nancy Matz. And we're gonna be talking about people that have psychic readings and are kind of on the fence about them. And then later on they find out that the reading, you know, that that that, that the reading coordinates with something else. Maybe maybe they talk to a family member and they find out that what well, whatever the psychic comes up with is actually what happened or, or it correlates with, with the reading. So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. So that'll be our casual Friday and that'll be 6 30 PM Pacific. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. Fascinating night to talk with him. And uh, hopefully we can get him back on to talk further about this stuff. Cause it, it is, it is interesting to me. I haven't had any, you know, I've had experiences with a lot of stuff, but I never experienced any Sasquatch stuff. Knock on wood, right? Excuse the pun. But, uh, yeah, anyway, if you like the show and you're watching on Facebook, please click that follow button. Just like if you're watching over on YouTube, please, uh, I would say hit, but please, please click, click on the little ghost with the magnifying glass, the Sherlock Holmes hat. That's to subscribe to our channel. And, uh, we've got almost 450 videos, I think over there now. And, uh, there's something, a little something for everybody. Okay. We just don't do ghosties and things like that. We do a variety. So you can check out our videos over there. If you're watching from TikTok. Same thing. Hit that follow button. Hit that like button. The more likes we get, the better off we are. I'm even on Instagram. You want to follow me on Instagram? Check out what we have to offer on Instagram. It's Ghosty Gal on Instagram. So check us out over there too because some of our um, TikTok reels end up over on Instagram. But anyway, I want to thank everybody. And uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here. So uh, yeah, we're just trying to get the word out. You know, even if you're uh, sitting at your dinner table one night or on the weekend or something, and you say, hey, there's this kind of cool show that's on that I like to follow. Tell everybody about us, because word of mouth is how, how we've been doing this, and, and it's taken a while, but we're getting there. We're getting there with our numbers, and uh, uh, we have you to thank. Okay, my producers and I have you to thank. Um, let's see, 5x5. Five five. Okay, check us out at CaliforniaHaunts.org for the Paranormal Team. Check us out at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com for this show. And uh, down there, there's that ticker that's running. I'm just reminding myself. That's why I keep looking up. There's that ticker that's running, and it's there because California Haunts doesn't take money to do any of it. Kind of like this gentleman. We don't take any funding to do any of our investigations or anything like that. So it's all rests solely on my pocketbook. And uh, when the bills come up, like for inter for our Xfinity bill and, and other stuff, I have to pay for it. And uh, so I could use just a little help for, for you guys. I want to keep the show on the air. We want to keep these guests coming. And if you could help me out a little bit, I'd appreciate it paypal.me at california haunts or if you don't like paypal you can do it at venmo and just type in california haunts anyway 
I want to again. I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. And I think I made my screen bigger. Hang on a second. Let me adjust my screen. There's always something in my life here. Oh, okay. Where am I at? Okay. Somehow. Oh, hang on. What did I do? Let me go down a little bit here. I made my screen too big. There we go. I love touch. I love touch screen computers, but sometimes too touchy. All right. I'm going to give you his information on where to get. He has a video out that you guys can check out over on Amazon. So here's the video right here. It is Sasquatch Legend Legend Meat Science. And that is available at Amazon. And of course, the YouTube videos that he mentioned during the interview are available as well. Okay. Probably put the wrong one. Anyway, that's available on Amazon. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good night.